this is Gary, and you're listening to Thinking Out Loud. Today's podcast recorded uh, Saturday morning, March 19th, whatever. Yeah, 19th, yeah. On a cool, crisp, slightly breezy Pacific Northwest morning. On this particular day, I'm pondering where my own life is going, and also this weird country. Had a lot of years where it's almost like I felt like I was right on the brink of something, something really profound and wonderful, and then years would go by, or have gone by. And just kind of keep plowing forward, working towards what? It's a certain requirement to work a certain amount, you know, if you want to, and especially if you have certain accommodations that are like where I'm living now, I would expect to work a decently hard because it's a fairly fancy place. Probably the fanciest place I've ever lived. But, so I'm hoping I can maintain it for a while. I have no ownership stake in it, though, but. It's pretty nice. Definitely lived in very, uh. humble. Uh, I've had various. well, all kinds of levels of living accommodations over the years and throughout my adult life. Uh, there's a stretch there where I was just uh, just had an army cot. I wasn't in the military or anything. I just happened to have an army cot. I think it was one of my uncle's old army cots from when he was in the army. I always thought about joining the military as a kid. When I was a little kid, it was Marines and it was Air Force. Didn't really have too much of an interest in being on a boat for six months. My parents were Navy, but I did ponder Navy. Took the ASVAB twice. But never, uh, could never go through with it. Post 9-11, I was really thinking about it. I was a young 20-something in college. I started meeting with a Marine recruiter who was considering going to officer candidate school to become a Marine so I can go be sent off to Afghanistan. Sometimes I wonder about parallel universes and such and Maybe there is a parallel universe where that did happen. You know, I, I did enlist and go off. But for various reasons, I did not go that route, even though I scored well on the ASVAB and was very fit and stuff at the time. Uh, for various reasons, I didn't go that route. And I'm thankful because I'm still alive. I may not be if I had joined the Marines in 2003. Um, it's a weird world. That war, what was it for? What, what did it resolve? How did we come closer to world peace because of that war? I'm not sure. 
not really sure what was gained now with the Russia situation repeat repealing Russia repelling them from Ukraine it, it, it's a necessity it has to be done um, it's kind of like what happened in World War II when the Nazis were trying to take over the world. They had to be stopped. Then there was two other countries that kind of joined in on them. This uh, sort of fascist authoritarianism, the Axis powers during World War II, um, sociopathic madmen, quest for world domination. And uh, it would have been very bad if they hadn't have been pushed back and stopped and defeated um, there's reports that China might be uh, starting preliminary aiding of Russia and maybe they'll try to do it covertly at first and then overtly but hopefully it doesn't come to that because then that would mean further sanctions against China but China would be able to do just fine on its own it wouldn't they wouldn't really care as much if they got cut off from the rest of society I don't think but that would just be a pretty horrible calamity in this weird time it's important to be definitive um, I'm with Ukraine I stand with Ukraine Vladimir Putin is evil and he needs to be removed from office you know he there has to be the world needs to come up with and specifically Russia a way to remove him from the presidency obviously that is extremely difficult given that he is a former KGB agent is a ruthless dictator and even speaking out holding up a sign saying that just says words and you don't even say them that in and of itself is a crime in Russia right now so it's a very precarious situation but it's important to be definitive. Russia is on the Russian army is on the wrong side of history. Do not be a supporter of that, and certainly do not support candidates in here in the United States of America who are pro-Putin. Don't do that. That's bad. You know that that's a bad thing. Um, hopefully, Trumpism is on its final gasps. Hopefully, it's fading quickly. Hopefully, it'll go away sooner than later I like being able to speak my mind what I am doing right now this podcast and making it available to the World Wide Web would be considered illegal in Russia yeah I would go to jail for it yep so um, that's obviously bad you know we should be allowed to speak our mind good bad and indifferent as long as you're not making threats to people and stuff like that inciting violence I do not condone violence so it's important to be clear and emphatic about that too uh, you know a candidate that's pro-Russian army is pro-violence towards civilians so you got to ponder that you know uh, there, there's not really any excuse for a candidate running in a democratic society with free speech freedom of religion right to assemble you know, the right to protest to be pro-Russian army murdering civilians no don't vote for those kind of candidates regardless of what letter is next to their name the letter that's next to their name that's 
kind of irrelevant. Um, they're using that letter as like a, a cover, you, you know, that kind of helps them get votes. That's the whole reason they're attaching that letter to their name. Joe Manchin has a D next to his name, but he's basically a Republican. Cinema, she's another one. She has a D next to her name, but she's basically a Republican. So you got to be careful when you're voting. There's also certain people that have R's next to their name who aren't really Republicans. They're they're kind of this new branch of the Republican Party that came into existence a few years ago. First, there was the Tea Party Republicans, which is really should be its own separate organization. And then there's the Trump Republicans, the Trump Organization, you know, the political wing of the Trump for-profit company. And sadly, there's been a lot of like lifelong Republican leaders who have joined the Trump Organization, you know, the Trump Party. the political wing of the for-profit Trump organization. It's sad and embarrassing because they're doing it because they can get away with it. They're doing it so they can retain power. They understand and know that their, you know, their goals, the laws that they're passing do not benefit the masses and therefore the masses do not support them. You know, so they kind of rely on gerrymandered districts. They rely on the extreme imperfections of the Senate to sort of have an overrepresented um, imprint on the federal government. They aren't nearly as popular as they seem to be when it, on the national level. They, they have a quite the stamp on the on the federal government. But it's not, that's not the percentage of people that support them nationwide, you know. Should be reflected that more in the federal government. There's a few that are, you know, speaking out against Trump and stuff that have ours next to their name. And they've faced um, consequences from the organization. You do not speak out against Donald Trump if you have an R next to your name. You'll lose your standing within the organization. You must be loyal to Trump at all costs, no matter what. And uh, that's sad. And it's sad that they've realized, many of them, that that's their best chance to get reelected, is to stay loyal to Trump. To not try to appeal to the people as a whole, you know, and to try to explain why hospitals and schools are important part of the foundation of a good republic. They're unwilling to explain it in that way because they're most concerned with their own personal power. And that's that's why they have the posts that they do. They wanted power. They didn't want to try to make the country better or anything. That's not why they do what they do. Mitch McConnell is not the Senate minority leader because he wants to make government work for you. No, he does not view himself as a public servant to the people. Absolutely not. That's that's not his ethos it, by any stretch of the imagination. No, 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 no. He views his post as a certain privilege and right 
for him to do what he needs and wants to benefit the people that have given him money. Okay, and, and that's what he does with his power. That's what Mitch McConnell does with his power. Kevin McCarthy, Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, Lindsey Graham, Jim Jordan, Ted Gozard. You know, that, that's what they're about, preserving their own personal power. Some in the Democratic Party are also like that. Because they have a D next to their name, their rhetoric has to be a little different. They can't just re attack the Republicans. They have to be more kind of uh, lovey-dovey with their speech and stuff. But plenty of them tend to just side with corporations and stuff. But there's more diversity within the Democratic Party, both, both ideologically, size and scope of what government should be, ethnically, culturally, racially, gender diversity. Democratic Party just far more diverse because the Republican Party is the organization that protects the interests of wealthy white people primarily. That is its primary first and foremost focus. That is what they do. Cut taxes for wealthy people. Cut taxes for corporations owned by wealthy people. Yep. That, that is what they do. And that's not an opinion. That that's That is what they do. Do, that that has been their mo for a while now. The tax law that they signed in to effect that Donald Trump signed that was five years ago. You know, billionaires are are even more wealthy now. One of them got to go to space in a rocket ship. Fun for him. He thanked his employees. He told them they made this happen. Employees that he will replace any day now, any year now, with robots in the big manufacturing warehouses. Maybe there'll just be like 10 or 20 employees that mostly just kind of inspect the robots. When will the Amazon distribution centers do this? Once they're able to. Once the technology is at a level to do it, that's when they'll do it. Because it'll reduce expenses. One of the biggest expenses of a company, wages and salaries. Yeah, people. You, you got to pay people to do all the work. Otherwise, you got to do it yourself, the owner. So most owners of companies don't want to be doing the work. You know, they want to pay other people to do it. But ideally, you want to pay them as little as possible. Just enough for them to keep doing it and doing it well. But not quite enough to where they have enough to like invest in themselves and maybe invest in their own small business that eventually becomes some kind of competition. You, you don't want that, you know. So just enough for the, where they kind of have to s keep working for you in order to stay afloat, but not quite enough to where they can invest in themselves and open their own small business that may eventually be competition. So finding that perfect sweet spot which for some companies is basically just have such a stamp on the economy that certain groups of people are just sort of almost forced for lack of a better term to work in that type of in that sector for extremely minimal wage subminimum an earning that is going to get you nothing you know it, it's a 
it's a basic stipend that will not really provide you much of anything. You're still going to have to get some other kind of assistance or you're going to have to live communally or, you know, you're going to have to, you're going to be living on the margins for, for sure. If you're an entry-level employee at most big, vast corporate locations, yeah, you're, you're not going to be making ends meet. You're going to have to rely on others to get by. Yeah, because it's it's not a living wage. Seven fifty an hour, eight bucks an hour, nine bucks an hour, ten bucks an hour. The proposed minimum wage of fifteen an hour is not enough to survive in certain parts of the country. Nope. Sorry. No. And even if, and if your response to that is, well, the minimum wage was never meant to be a living wage. Oh. Why do people work? <laughs> yeah. So the whole point in working is so that you have money to pay your bills and so that you can live and survive. Yeah. If you're a company, a for-profit company, and you can't pay the people doing the work for you a living wage, well, then you need to get off your fucking ass and do the work yourself then, owner. Okay? Yeah, that's how it goes. That's how it goes. Yeah, so you're the owner of a company. You need to pay the people doing the work. A living wage. A wage that's a living wage in the area where you're having them work. Yeah, so that's going to vary from region to region. Um, a national minimum is a good idea. It, it's probably, a bare minimum, it's probably more like a 11 or 12 in the year 2022. Uh, but that's that's going to be a sub-minimum, though, in certain parts of the country. Manhattan, 12 bucks an hour is not minimum that that's a sub minimum you're not gonna survive in manhattan new york new york new york on 12 bucks an hour you know no nor should you have to if you're working for you know working a job you should get paid you know that that's how we do this you know and if the person owning the entity has to not pay themselves as much okay that's that, that, that's what you got to do. So if a corporation is using huge portions of its revenues to pay bonuses to its execs and share dividends to the shareholders, yet the people doing all the work are relying on federal assistance to survive, well, that needs to change. That company is not properly paying its expenses, you know, and they're, they're misallocating their funds. You know, the people doing all the work are human beings, real, live, living, breathing people. They're not just numbers. I was a number, though, for one of those corporations for a while. So anytime I have a business experience, a working experience, that it has any swift of that kind of flavor, uh, it's it's a stench, and I don't like it. 70227. That was my operator ID when I was at Charter Communications. I still remember my sales ID. That was a different number. But when I'd sign into meetings, I signed in with my operator ID, not my name. I was literally a number, you know, one of many, one of 300 people in that particular call center. And there was four or five call centers in the U.S. and then a few in the uh, Philippines and India. Like, you know, you cannot feel more like a, just in just uh 
I was trying to think of a proper term for something, just a part in the machine, but uh, you know, something like that. You know, it's just this big, vast, huge machine, the United States economy, and then it's part of this big, vast world economy. But when you're in the bowels of it, it's just like, it's like, it's, uh, well, it's depressing. Because it's like, why do we have to live like that? Humans weren't meant to sit in a fucking cubicle for eight, nine hours a day. You know, getting into arguments with people over their fucking cable bill. Why the fuck do I care that your cable bill went up 30 bucks? I don't care. You know, I don't even have cable. You know, most of the time, my was selling charter communications that three and a half years. I didn't have cable, A, and I certainly didn't have charter communications because it wasn't even available in my area. There was Comcast, but I didn't have Comcast. You know, so I'm selling a product that I didn't even have, and these people are getting all upset because. Now they have to pay 200 bucks a month if they want every single channel and the fastest internet and phone and whatever the shit. And they're like, I want to pay 90 bucks a month like I was in the beginning. Well, that was an introductory offer, sir. How about I review your services and we'll get the best. If you can't get that same package that I had before, then we'll catch my turban. <sighs> this is so, like, people not understanding what a fucking promotion is, you know? It's a promotion. Here, want to try this thing out? You could try it out at a discounted rate. Try it all the stuff. And then it's going to go up, though. If you, if you can't keep it up, product, I don't want it anymore. Well, maybe you just there's some of the stuff that's, you know, not what you really want, you know? Like, but then it's like so many conversations about people's TV viewing habits and shit and I think that's why I've enjoyed over the last couple of years just not even owning a TV. I, I don't I don't even watch TV. Like I don't have any shows that I regularly watch. The last one was uh fuck, I don't remember. The last series that actually like got all the way through. Oh, Bojack Horseman, yeah. <laughs> I've seen every season every episode of that one. That was a good show. So it's a weird, what you know, it's kind of a silly, absurd cartoon show, but it's, it gets into real deep and kind of dark shit. But because it's like a, you know, a goofy cartoon, it it's, makes it a little easier to digest or something. Highly recommend that one. That one's on Netflix. Netflix always has cool stuff, but uh, every time I've had a Netflix account, I just spend half an hour scrolling through the menu and... I never actually pick anything. I miss the days of uh, a video store. I can go, because I'm tactile. I like to pick up and hold things and stuff and touch and hold, look at the back, you know, just walk around. And then there's other people in the store too and maybe get into a conversation about a movie and just scroll into the older movie section. There's new, you know, it's a shame that that can't still exist. Like, streaming is neat and all, but it's it's not the same thing. It's different. It's a different experience. I don't really have the same relationship with the movies and TV that I used to. So, I haven't watched a lot of movies in the last several years. So I watch fewer movies now that there's more of them available. Just the, the value of them is less or something, you know. They're all good and stuff, but it's like... They don't quite have the same mystique as they used to or something. I don't know. But 
that's why I think I'm kind of reverting back to like if I'm gonna see a movie, I want to see it in the movie theater. So it'd be cool if it's one idea I had. It's like finding a way to those like those like second run movies. I love those kind of theaters, theaters that kind of specialize in the second run movies. A little bit cheaper. I've already been in the theaters for like a month or two. There was a cool one I used to go to in Portland, Oregon years ago called the Laurelhurst. I used to go with my grandma. It was a buck fifty, and it was a double feature. When when you had time, I saw like Naked Gun, and uh, like I don't know what else came out in '91. Maybe Lethal Weapon or something. I don't know. Lethal Weapon Four. I can't remember. Grandma would take me to some cool movies. I saw Elijah Woods North. Way long time ago. Oh, there's a bunch of movies. I can't remember them all. But I used to go to movies all the time. It was fun. And then it just price got kind of crazy. Even for a matinee. Town I live in, though, it's not too bad. It's like eight bucks for a matinee movie. Not too shabby. I think The Batman is playing. I'm tempted to see that. But I don't know. It's, the, it's funny. It's like having more ideas for good, unique, small businesses. Like, these corporate ones suck. Like, if you want a good cheeseburger, it, it's not... And you, and you lift, list off the, the top 100 places in the United States of America to get a cheeseburger. McDonald's is not one of them. Nope. Sorry. No. No. No, 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 no. You gotta get out into the world more, man. If uh, if you literally think that one of the hundred best places to eat a cheeseburger in the United States of America is McDonald's, you gotta get out into the world more. You, you gotta venture out. Now, some of the places where you can get a much better cheeseburger than McDonald's, it may cost a bit more, but goodness gracious, it's gonna be worth it. And the ones that cost more, and then if even if you're narrowing it down to a certain price point like you don't want to pay more than five or six bucks for a cheeseburger and if you're only willing to pay a buck for a cheeseburger well then it's worth every penny you know it is a dead animal after all so ideally that animal was you know roaming around a little bit got got to they like to move around if you've ever seen cows you know they actually you know they're hanging out a lot, but they do move around a lot. They they cover a lot of ground. They like to walk around, and rarely do they run. But, you know, every once in a while, it's kind of fun watching cows run. <laughs> but, they're, you know, they're kind of inquisitive, and they roam around, like deep grass, and, you know, breathe in fresh air. And roam. They like to have a lot, of, a lot, a lot, a lot of space. So, the best places to get a cheeseburger are going to be places where they did indeed... Uh, butcher cows that were roaming around you know it's, it's gonna be higher quality meat and stuff but yeah all the 100 best places to get a cheeseburger for under six bucks none of them are mcdonald's jack in the box carl's jr wendy's or burger king none of them none of the 100 best places to get a cheeseburger for under six bucks or any of those fast food joints sorry no and if you think that they are you gotta get out into the world more just google Hundred best places or something. I don't know. <laughs> Diners, drive-ins, and dives. That's a decent show. Go watch that.
go on a little road trip to find some of the best cheeseburgers. They're out there. And I bet you almost every single one of them are like one-offs. They're not chains. You know, they're not they're not franchises. You know, they're the local places cheeseburger joint. And if the best place to get a cheeseburger in your town is McDonald's or Burger King and Jack in the Box or Wendy's, I feel sorry for you. That's a shame. Because, you know, it's pretty easy to make a good cheeseburger. It's not the most difficult thing in the world. That's why, you know... McDonald's is a multi-billion dollar corporation that pays its employees dog shit, and the CEO of McDonald's makes millions and millions of dollars a year. Yeah, you know, they're greedy. The people that own that entity is greedy. And, you know, doesn't want to share, and they can kind of use that money to kind of dictate the terms of the economy almost in a way, and pay off politicians to kind of rig the rules so that makes it very difficult to start small businesses in a new town and to where it gives rights of corporations equal footing to real-life human beings and stuff. You know, and so they can just sort of open locations willy-nilly huh, sometimes and without truly considering and, and taking appropriate level risk in a unique small business that's just going to have a, a better more positive impact, you know, there's something kind of just flat and, uh, I don't know, spiritually sterile or something about a lot of corporate locations. There's just, it, uh, and it's, I notice it more and more, the more time I spend away from them. Cause I live in an area where they just, they have a, an extremely tiny footprint. There is no Starbucks, there is no McDonald's, there is no Jack in the Box, there is no Wendy's, Burger King, none of those places are here. The only corporate footprint, uh, there's a bit of an Ace, there's an Ace hardware store, but it's locally owned and stuff, and like a lot of Ace places, Ace locations are. And then uh, the banks, and then the gas stations. But there tend to be smaller banks, you know, so, or one of them is, more of a regional one. It's nice. I, I like that there's no McDonald's in this town. It's refreshing. It's it's a good thing. My old hometown though, they recently renovated the McDonald's and stuff and you know, it's back open open after major renovations and stuff. My old hometown, it's just uh it could have been a cool, unique, really interesting place. It's it's located in a amazing spot on the northern tip of Whidbey Island um, near the Deception Pass Bridge and such, but it just it, it just decided not to be that. It didn't want to be that. It wanted to be a cookie-cutter town that had the same businesses as any other city in America. You know, it didn't want to stand out and be unique. It, it wanted to sell out. There was a lot of people that didn't want to sell out, you know, as even as a child when the rumors of the Walmart coming to town even as a 17 18 19 year old I was strongly against it you know and, but now that town has a Walmart and a Home Depot and an Office Max and uh, Big Five various other corporate stuff Applebee's and the wetlands that used to be there and the forest land that used to be there is all gone now and now there's big fancy mansions and stuff. And 
more corporate stuff. Town's a little bit seems a little bit dirtier and more hurried and pace and stuff. Same number of trailer parks that there used to be, maybe even more. But there's also more mansions too. That's interesting. Yeah. Seem to notice more you know, kind of drifters or just kind of people that there's there's no role for them. There's no they, you know, they're they're not they could work some shit job and live in a shitty apartment barely squeaking by or not do that. So, you know, there you go. <laughs> when you have a, a massive corporate presence in your small town, that's huge portions of money being spent in your economy that's leaving and it doesn't really come back. And so that's kind of what happens. It's in, you know, you, you require, it, it's kind of requires almost this constant influx and, and expansion to try to create revenue or something, but it's like the elephant in the room is the elephant. The, these big massive locations that are sending money away and it doesn't come back in the same level, you know? It just doesn't. But, um, yeah, I don't know. So so it ends up getting this uh, imbalance to where, you know, certain groups that kind of own the locations and stuff or have a certain ownership stake in those locations, they'll do very well. But everyone else, you know, they'll just be grinding. And, uh, you know, and then eventually, I guess, prices will get so depressed in certain areas that they'll just kind of clear those areas out or something and then redevelop them at a, but make them fancier or something. Where the people that were living there before will go, and who cares? We'll figure that out later or something. I don't know. Um, but that's a lot of towns of, they do that. You know, that that's what corporate control of the economy means, you know. Like, they kind of dictate the flow of your economy in your area. Uh, when it's all small businesses, then it's the people who own, who live in your area, live in your town. It's kind of the people of your town deciding the flow of your economy. How the people in your town spend their money. And then the people coming to visit your town, how they spend their money. So it's a little bit more self-sustaining, you know. Um, I earn money doing various jobs here where I live, and then I spend that money mostly right here in town, you know, grocery stores, gas station, um, you know, the cannabis store, dispensary, you know, almost every penny that I make, I just spend right here, you know, although some of it leaves because I pay rent, and the, the landlord lives uh, in Tacoma, but they own this house here on the island, and property taxes paid go right back to here. So there's huge portions of money that I spend, that I earn, that I've earned here, that just gets redistributed right in here in town. And most people in this town where I live are that way. Although many also, because towns like this sometimes can be a little bit more, things could cost a bit more. But when towns are self-sustaining, a lot of times there'll be, ideally, if there's not too much outside influence, there'll, 
there'll be adjustments in pay and such and cost of living to kind of, you know, we're, you know, we're kind of self-sustaining. So, you know, the value of things is going to be a little bit different, you know, and we collectively are going to kind of understand that. Like where I live, the minimum wage it's it's higher than other places. It's not a declared, this is what minimum is, but it's sort of, it's understood that the cost of living is a bit more, so you're you're paid a bit more to start out. It's just, and so, it's just kind of expected. It's kind of a, you know, just the culture of the area. Uh, lowest I've started out at was, for most things, was about 17 here with, uh, you know, hourly and tips and stuff. And, you know. Kind of rambling on different topics and stuff because I'm so burnt out on the Trumpism thing and just, I don't know, want to start... I'm just... I'm a very impatient person and uh, I'm, I'm just... I honestly was just like, there were so many times I just thought that the nail in the Trump coffin was, you know, slammed down decades ago. Like, it was, oh, you know, I remember being just out of high school and just think, oh, it's finally over. He's finally done. Don't have to hear about that asshole anymore. He's, oh, thank goodness. But no, then he became the host of a stupid game show and, you know. But it just feels like it's finally, it's finally, finally, finally going away soon, you know, I'm, I'm not going to hold my breath, you know, because cause I know there's still tons of people that really dig him and think he's awesome, but uh, it's just been such a surreal several years, seeing the rise and continued, just continued rise, even as he continued to be what he was, and what he was famous for being, you know, just a an asshole who was born wealthy and screwed people over Sued thousands of times, whatever. No criminal associations. Just a, pfft, I failed to think of a decent, re redeemable thing about the guy. But he's still lingering around, and uh, you know. But I'm, I'm just confident, optimistic, you know. Hopefully confident, I guess, that uh, is it that he will go away soon and you'll pay, face some consequences even though he's running for president in 2024 it it just won't come to that the one thing that'll help is the media just not covering his campaign you don't have to there's probably hundreds of people already running for president in 2024 we just haven't heard about most of them because some of them are probably kind of out there they don't have you know political sponsors so yeah, I'm just, but he is that kind of thorn in our country's side that has to be removed before we can really move forward. You know, we have to kind of, you got to take out the stress points be, before you can start healing and stuff too. And uh, once we do that, I think we can start definitely moving upward. Healthcare is right. Education is right better taxation of big massive corporate entities and the extremely affluent um you know excess taxes you know anything the excess and we we know what excess is we we got to like come to terms with yes some people are unable unwilling 
to control themselves in any way, shape, or form. They just can't do it. They don't know how and they don't want to. Okay? And they believe it's their right to do whatever they want with the masses that they've accumulated. And they shouldn't have to care at all about how their masses and their accumulation and their consumption habits affect others. And they just don't feel like they should ever have to rein it in at all. We shouldn't all have to suffer because of a few hundred sort of, you know, overly greedy, vindictive, arrogant people, you know. And that's kind of what it is. It comes down to a, like a few hundred, maybe a few thousand worldwide that these extremely uber affluent, just stupid, stupid levels of money that they use for bad things. Some of the people with stupid levels of affluence, they try to do good things with it, whatever, except whatever, whether you're doing good or bad with it, I think we got to find a point to where, no, there's a limit to how much an individual person can legally own or have or something like it's, uh, because it almost becomes like imaginary or something. An individual human, U.S. citizen with $30 billion. What does that even mean? You know, so they could literally buy towns. You know, they could buy control of just about anything if they just feel inclined to do it. So it's just, you got to find a way to rein in a bit of the excess. The easiest ways... Marginal tax, wealth tax, estate tax. None of these taxes affect normal, quote-unquote, people. None of them. None of them. None of them. No normal person is going to be paying any one of those taxes, ever. Even if you're really successful in making seven, $800,000 a year, your marginal tax would be nothing. Zero. That would be your marginal tax. Nothing. Marginal tax would be a, a high tax. Not 100%, but pretty substantial on the portion of earnings above, above, above 10 million in one year, above 10 million, that portion above, that's the portion that would pay the 70% tax. How many people does that affect? Maybe a few hundred, a few thousand, maybe. Nobody you know, personally, most likely, if you filled out a W-2 this year, then you know, when you filed your income taxes, you filled out a, a 1040. You're not in that group. Don't worry. Okay. You have an hourly wage. Yeah, you're not in that group. Don't worry. Okay. Most of those people are going to be on some kind of extreme salary or have a pretty substantial ownership stake in something or an extreme, you know, a high value employee with a high salary. You know, the head of a company, something like that big massive company yeah so they like they have plenty of money coming in they know that it's coming in and it's a very particular type of people that get that kind of money it's also the kind of money that can go that can jump up considerably just through negotiations it happened recently uh sean watson signed with the Browns for something like 200 something, I forget what the number is guaranteed, but it's something like 80 million more than the previous most valuable guaranteed contract. 80 million, millions, tens of millions more 
than the previous high. You know, it's like we kind of almost take for granted the the massive differences in numbers that are in that wealthy group. Because, like, say you have a you know a person in the NBA making the league minimum. That's still a that that would put that league minimum would put them in the top two percent of income earners in the United States. You know, the league minimum in the NBA is still way way up there, but it jumps considerably higher. You know, the range of incomes of the top two percent is massive, huge differences in money. You know, and so taxing the excess—that's what it is. Excess—it's absurd amounts of money that are being allowed to accumulate because certain expenses are not being paid for and therefore just being deferred to the people as a whole. We collectively are going to pay these expenses because these wealthy people are not being expensed properly. They own these entities, many of them, or they have certain, you know, there's certain expenses being accrued that just aren't properly being allocated. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that just aren't being done, and then we have to sort of backfund it. You know, some some people aren't getting enough food, some people aren't getting the health care, and then there's inefficient ways to cover it when it gets to emergency situations. It's less efficient. Easier would be just that you have hospitals and schools that are directly funded. You know, you have a universal basic income. And then people work to achieve what they want to achieve. They're not forced to work in the corporate sector. They don't want to. They, they can work whatever job they want. And they can earn as much as they want to earn. And if they do ever get into that $10 million range, they would be paying that marginal tax. But the foundational stuff is really just foundational. You know, people have access to hospitals and schools. That means they can get an education. It means they can get healed if they get sick. There's a basic income, basic stipend. It's a, it's a slight cushion. When when things get a little bumpy, it's just a, it's just a stipend. It's just kind of a, a bit of a buffer if you're a regular person. Obviously, wealthy people don't need that and don't see the value in it. But none of these things are very expensive when they're funded directly. They become extremely expensive when they're funded like in the backhand kind of way or when there's inflated costs put in there because we're trying to, you know, the whole point of health insurance is to earn a profit. You know, health insurance executives do very, very well. They earn millions of dollars a year. Um... So, I mean, then that's that's their point, that health insurance companies earn a profit. So you eliminate that, it reduces the cost quite a bit. And doing that in and of itself, too, may also just reduce the amount of people that are accumulating money through maybe not the most ethical means, you know. We don't offer health care as a right, so there's a for-profit entity that's going to charge you a fee and then only pay a portion of the cost when you do get sick. You know, they've, they've kind of taken advantage of the fact that, yeah, that healthcare is not a right, 
And then to the point of even like they'll, you know, give money to politicians to kind of continue to make sure that healthcare is not a right because their business model requires that healthcare is not a right. Health insurance becomes completely worthless if healthcare is a right. If you just have the right to go to a doctor and they don't have any right or ability to give you a bill, they just treat you for whatever your ailment is and then you go on your way. Would the healthcare professionals be fine with it? Why would they? Yeah, if they're being properly funded and they have all the supplies and staffing they need to take care of people, and they're earning the money that they need, that they feel comfortable earning and stuff, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, what do they need to collect money for? Why do they need you to? Are they a for-profit hospital? If they're not a for-profit hospital and they're a publicly funded hospital, then yeah, all they're going to be worried about is taking care of you. All, all the all the logistical stuff, yeah, that, that's been taken care of. You know, salaries, staffing, medical supplies, the building itself. Yeah, that's all paid for. You know, that's all, yeah. So when you get sick, you can go there. And they'll, those people have been trained to heal people. That's what they do for a living. Nurses and doctors and various other medical staff. That's That's what they do for a living. And we have thousands of them in this country. Many of them went through pretty extreme duress during the COVID times, though. Um, you know, and uh, unfortunately, that didn't inspire more people to just immediately get vaccinated. You know, nurses kind of given their testimonials about what it's like, you know, to watch people die in front of them and stuff. You know, it's kind of a, you know, be difficult um, so it's, it's, it's not a career that's for everyone, but there's people that do certainly sign up to be medical professionals and to help heal people. And so making sure that those people have jobs that want to do that and get the training they need to help heal people. And then make sure that we have places that staff those people so that when people get sick and they need healing, they can go there and get healed. Now, again, whether or not a health insurance company remains profitable or not, who gives a shit? Okay? Who cares? Yeah, that, that, that's the answer. How many steam engine companies are there? How many steam engine manufacturing companies are there? Not, not, probably not as many as there were in the 19th century. That, that's how it goes when economies change. So when a society decides, we're going to pay for hospitals now. We're going to pay for them directly. Yeah, that that health insurance company, that entire sector of the economy, yeah, they're, they're going to be in quite a panic for a bit. Yeah. How are they going to remain profitable? They're going to have to start differentiating their product really quick once hospitals just become a right. Now, the other one would be public education, publicly funded universities and community colleges. Apply to a college, accepted, you start going. No, you don't need to pay them any money. Your books and tuition is all covered. Books for your class. If anything, any supplies outside of whatever, you'd have to pay for out of pocket or borrow money or whatever. But yes, when public education is free, the, the financial institutions that lend money to students at a and charge an interest rate, but they don't really lend the money to the student. They pay the money directly to the school and then 
the student is on the hook for the money plus interest. So obviously, if public education is just a right, and you, you want to go to a public publicly funded university, you apply and accept it, then you just start going, no money's exchanged hands. Right, that, that certainly affects the business model of that for-profit financial institution that specializes in, you know, student loans. Yeah, their, their business model is now have to be differentiated really quick because they were benefiting, profiting off of education not being a right. And they have a certain, you know, uh, what's the word, moral hazard situation to sort of keep it that way you know they have to spend money they spend just enough money on campaign ads and uh you know buying up politicians then education can continue to not just be a right something that you have to pay money for that then their their business can stay open or at least that you know that wing of their business because they maybe they have other types of financial products that they sell I would hope but uh, yeah student loan lending corporations certainly become less relevant once you know public education is a right um, but that's kind of where our society is there's these certain entities that we've decided are more important in certain ways or these certain like traditions like it's tradition that you pay out a ton of money to go to a university you know, it's tradition that you pay money every month to a health insurance company, and then if you get sick, you pay more money. That's tradition. That's just how we do it, you know? It's also tradition that, uh, you know, people who smoke cannabis are bad, and they should be locked up in a cage if they do it. We've been doing that for a long, long time, and it, that tradition is starting to finally go away, and started going away here in my state about 10 years ago certain parts of the country it's still tradition to lock up human beings in a cage for years on end and sometimes because they were either growing selling or just had in their possession a certain type of plant that makes people feel better called cannabis you know um, but that's kind of what you get sometimes with over conservatism it, it's like a it's such a resistance to change that it's like, this is the way we've been doing it, and there's no other way. We have to do it this way, because this is what it is. And it's sort of denying that it was ever different, that there can be a better way. You know, we, we don't have to just allow corporate America to run everything and to be in full control of the economy. Now, it does require how people vote and how people spend their money you know the way you vote is not just with your ballot it's with you know with your dollars and your credit card so i don't know i'm hopeful it's spring still a lot of crazy shit going on and there's still a lot of whatever but i'm hopeful that this year's a blooming year and uh, new beginnings, new growth, fertile ground, you know, from the ashes springs new new birth, new growth. Um, you know, the Trump era was surreal and crazy and embarrassing and stupid and 
yeah, we, we, we are standing in the world dropped. You know, we look like a bunch of idiots. Um, it, there's no way around it. It, it. It's an embarrassing time. It was an embarrassing time to be American. There's hope now, though, because it feels like it's fading. I wish it would fade quicker, the Trump era. But, you know, it, it, it feels like it, it... There's just certain levels of absurdity that I think even people that were staunch supporters of the guy that might have got too extreme, you know. He's pretty out there, you know, and he... It's hard to sort of passionately defend everything that's about him, you know, while holding on to certain other virtues. You're going to have to some way acknowledge it or just be dismissive or, you know, you're going to get into some mental weird gymnastics to try to say, you know, certain devout beliefs you know, golden rule, forgive our trespasses, we forgive those who trespasses against us, delivering me not from temptation, but delivering me from evil, and then say that you're a Trump supporter. Um, you know, obviously you're going to have to get into some mental gymnastics there to try to, like, justify that. It's an elephant in the room. He, he's not that. He's someone opposite. He's the he's the opposite of, of forgiveness and empathy for others and golden rule and obviously there's it's hard to deny that you know so it's kind of who are you really if you're saying one thing and then you're also still to this day march 2022 claiming allegiance to donald john trump you know he, he is what he is and you can pretend otherwise because he's got an r next to his name or something and you were told a long time ago that in order to be a good christian you got to vote for people with r's next to their name but it doesn't actually say that in the bible sorry so you were misled and that's unfortunate but uh there's always chance for redemption so the easiest way is just to to hope and pray that trump gets better and, and stops being what he is and, and, and understands the things that he's done wrong in his life and and the people uh, embrace more positive virtues you know um, so the easiest thing you can do is just you, you know, stop supporting him in that in the blind support way and more in like a, he, he needs help you, you know he, he needs to sit down with a counselor or something and you know like a lot of people do um, you know it's it can be very helpful but i think it's something trump needs especially and he, he just needs to step out of the spotlight for a while and focus on some things so yeah, hopefully everyone stays healthy and happy out there make sure you register to vote vaccinated boosted and all that good stuff god bless this is gary Thinking out loud.